Good morning, church. Uh, today's reading is from Exodus chapter 15. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned into the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified and the leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall, up and fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them, and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, 
I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there near the water. So much, Chris. Well, friends, uh, if you haven't got Exodus 15 open in front of you, then please do uh, crack that open. That'll be really helpful for us to keep in front of us as we look at this passage together. Uh, if we've not had the chance to meet in person yet, I might just need a little bit less volume, Nishant. Um, I'm Simon, the senior pastor here, and I'd love to be able to say uh, g'day afterwards. Um, music's wonderful, isn't it? It's amazing the way that a song can take you to different places with apologies for what I'm about to assault your ears with, I just want you to think about the sort of the, the memories that it brings to mind. Because what the world needs now is love, sweet love, not just for some, but for everyone. A couple of weeks ago, I was with... No, it's definitely not worth that. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was with my kids doing a lot of that because we heard just a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down, the medicine go down. And you sort of, memories come to mind, don't they? Australians, all oh, let us rejoice, for we are one and free. Some people are a bit triggered by that. School assembly comes to mind. Oh. <laughs> Music has a great way of communicating so much for us, doesn't it? And it's often a lot more than just the specific content of those few lyrics that we've sung. We've just read a great song from Exodus 15, and there is no doubt that it communicates a lot, even without knowing the tune that went with it. But there are so many different emotions caught up in it. After all, this was Israel breathing a massive sigh of relief on the shore of the Red Sea. Over recent weeks and the chapters that have led into this, we've read that they've escaped from decades of slavery and oppression in Egypt and they've seen God do the most amazing things, ultimately in creating a way out of death for them. Pharaoh and his big guns bearing down on them, their backs to the sea and no way out until God parted the water and not only led them through but destroyed the pursuing army at the same time and so as we come to Exodus 15 the 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 dust is settling the waves are dying down and they could catch their breath and realized what had happened they're free they're free they're free from slavery free from that nagging fear that Pharaoh would change his mind and drag them back into it they were free and that was worth celebrating And in their celebration, they didn't just crack out the party hats, they didn't declare a public holiday, they broke out in song. And I think that's helpful for us to see, because this is such a great song, such an important moment in history, that it's worth God's people reflecting on it and learning from it. Now, micro-analyzing a song is a great way to kill the vibe, right? So we're going to try not to do that. But I do think we will see, this is a, a brilliantly composed song that's all about a joyful celebration of who God is and looking back on what he has already done, looking forward with confidence of what he will do. So we're going to walk our way through it. The band strikes up, a tune that we don't know, and the people start singing to the awesome creator of the universe. But it strikes me as I come to this, and I don't know if it stood out for you as, uh, as we read through it with Chris there, that right from the opening, we see just how bold this song is as it takes 
the awesome creator of the universe and makes him very personal. I will sing to the Lord for he's exalted, both horse and driver he's hurled into the sea. It's almost like that's the title of this song. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. He's my strength, he's my defense, he's my salvation, he's my God, I'll praise him. I think that's astounding that as Moses and the Israelites stood there on the shore of the Red Sea, they made it so personal that this God of the universe, the God of plagues in Egypt, the God that parts the water, this is who God is in relation to me. It doesn't make him a small God, he's highly exalted. Those horses that have been hurled into the sea, that army was... That was the great army of the superpower of the time. The Lord is a warrior. You don't mess with him. And he's my God. So in just a few short lines, we've got emotions of remarkable pride and confidence and gratitude to a God that the Israelites could call their own. Because this is a song about who God is, but it's totally grounded in what he has done. This God isn't just a concept or an idea. He does things in human history. And he's done those things for his people. Those events in history on behalf of his people, they're the guts of the song that we read just now from verse 4 through 10. They're the events that we looked at last week. The Lord is a warrior. He's hurled Pharaoh's chariots and army into the sea. It is an act of judgment on an evil regime. It's an act of violence against violent people. And it was all God. As verse 6 acknowledges, your right hand, Lord, shattered the army. He's a God of power. It's overwhelming power. Pharaoh brought the best of his army, but God quite literally blew it away. Did you notice that? With just a blast of his nostrils. Not a sneeze, but a picture of an angry God. The blowing of his breath. That's all it took to destroy the army that tried to destroy his people. The people of God look back and see God's great victory on behalf of them. It wasn't measured or vindictive. This isn't a cranky God. He didn't destroy all of Egypt, just its leadership and military. It was justified. It wasn't impulsive. This was the final act of of persistent oppression by Pharaoh that had continued after decades and decades of, of, and, and despite multiple warnings. Yes, it was judgment, but it was necessary. This was the only way for his people to be free. And so this song celebrates what God has done in human history for his people. And it shows just how personally involved the God of the universe is with these people. And then the song, it returns to its chorus back to singing about who God is and actually it's about who God is when there is there is no one that compares who among the gods is like you Lord and the answer is no one I mean after all that we've seen over the recent weeks the whole point of God's intervention in Egypt was to show that he alone is the one true God majestic in holiness awesome in glory supernatural in power And so the enemies that were swallowed up that we read about in verse 12, it's not just Pharaoh and his army, but all the other gods that the world would 
invent and exalt. Because there on the shore of the Red Sea, the Israelites saw more than just Pharaoh defeated. This was the victory of their God over anyone else who would have claim to some divine power to provide and protect. And so the song carries on. It's like it's got this chorus about who God is and, and verse 1 is what God has done and verse 2 is well, what God is going to do. It's a wonderful song of confidence in the loving faithfulness of God. It's this beautiful image of God taking his people home. That, that's what started and finished verse 2 as in of the song, verses 13 and 17 in our Bibles, it's about God taking his people home to his home, to his dwelling. They're slaves that have been brought out of their oppression, brought from their old muster, now, now brought into a new family, into God's own home. And of course, there's a journey along the way. The neighbours, they, they will stand in awe and wonder at a God who can do such things. On one hand, they'll just be plain terrified. If he did that to Egypt... Think of what he could do to us. But along the way, as God takes his people home past the nations of Philistia and Edom and and Canaan that we read about, they're just the neighbouring nations. They will have the opportunity, just like Rahab did in the city of Jericho that we read about last week, they will have the opportunity to see the power of this God and to honour him and take shelter with him. And this is what shifts this song from just celebration to an expression of confidence. It's been celebrating who God is and what he's done, but it's now looking forward, right? These are God's people sitting there on the shore of the Red Sea looking forward at this rather unknown journey. God's already taken them a kind of odd route the long way round. It's going to be a hard journey when they look at the map and who stands between him or them and home. But these people sing these words to God. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. They sing those words to God, but just picture being there with them. They're singing it to each other, right? They're encouraging each other. Friends, let's be confident. In his unfailing love, God will lead us. And really, that's where the song finishes. One of the powerful, simple statement in verse 18, the Lord reigns forever and ever. He is the king doesn't matter what comes, doesn't matter what what opposition we face, whatever hunger or fatigue or confusion, come what may, this remains, God is actually ruling over it all. However it feels, this is what we know, the Lord reigns. And the band plays the outro. What a song. This is my God, my strength, my defence, this is my God. This is what he's done in power, rescuing us from evil. And this is my God. This is, this is the one who is deserving of praise. This is what he will do in love, taking us home to be with him. This is my God who rules over all and for all ways. It's a pretty great song. And it's clearly one that was worth remembering to sing. Clearly a song that was worth learning to sing. That's exactly what the people did. And that's why we didn't stop when the song stopped. We we kept on reading because it's so helpful to see that as they stood there on the shore, it wasn't just enough for a one time through because Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took up the timbrel and she leads the people and she sings. 
Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Did you notice a subtle change? Because the first time around, the song began, I will sing to the Lord. But Miriam actually invites the people, instructs the people. Not just I will sing, but sing. Let's sing. Learn to sing this song. Sing it. And I reckon we've got two pretty important reasons for this. And they are both really, really practical for us today. One's just a general reflection on what music does. And the other is a much more specific reflection on what God's people tend to do. So first, I think we ought to learn to sing to shape our hearts. See, I think it's worth noticing that Moses and the Israelites didn't just say these words. They sang them. And Miriam didn't invite people to listen to a performance. She told them to sing. Because it seems that God has built music into us. Now, for some of us, not so much as others, as I've just demonstrated earlier on, there are definitely those who have wonderful abilities with rhythm and melody and words all being put together. But whatever you feel like your musical ability is and kind of grasp of tone, there's a pretty decent argument that God has built music into us. The first chapter of the Bible, when we read about God creating, it's, we don't know the tune, but there's a pretty good argument that in the original language it was meant to be sung. And in the final book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, it is full of songs. In fact, one image that we're given of heaven is all of creation joining together to sing God's praises. Music has a wonderful way of helping us express our emotions, and I think God's built that into us. So if you're feeling bright and chipper, it's not kind of that odd that you just start humming a tune. You break out in song, especially if you're feeling bright and chipper and happen to be in the shower at the same time. (laughs) Music is just a wonderful way to kind of give voice to your heart, isn't it? But it doesn't just express our emotions, does it? Doesn't music have a wonderful way of shaping our emotions? As we sing, we actually shape the feelings of our heart. Just think over the song there of Exodus 15 that we've looked at. It's not even a specific mention of particular emotions, but gosh, there's, a, there's an amazing sense of pride in God. He's my God. There's a joy in God. He's exalted. He is high. He's above everything else. There's a sense of thankfulness because he's become my salvation. This confidence, you will lead us. And as we sing words like this, our emotions follow. And even Disney gets that. There's a whole business model built by Disney on knowing that music shapes our emotions. I went to Mary Poppins with the kids and I came out buzzing, thinking that was just vacuous and empty nothingness, but gosh, I feel good. (laughs) God's been kind to build music into us Because it's part of how he gets his truth down, deep into our hearts, shaping our hearts, giving voice to our hearts. And I think that all means that we should be pretty thoughtful about our music. Because if it's it's got a powerful way of getting truth down deep. So we'd want to make sure that it's real truth that we're getting down there, wouldn't we? Now just think through some of the truth statements of Exodus 15. This is what God has done. This is what he will do. This is what God is like. So if you're going to shape your heart with statements like this, you want to be confident they're true. 
So I reckon we should be careful about the music we listen to and the impact that it has on our hearts. Recognising it's not just some words with a tune, but it is actually, in the best possible way, a, a, a tool that shapes the way we start to see God and the world and ourselves and other people. Which should also mean that when we get together with a sort of a tip of the hat to Disco Daisy, I reckon we should be a passionate people learning to sing together as God's people because we want our whole hearts to be shaped by God's truth. So at a really practical level, we thank David and Julie and and, and others that are leading us in our music, leading us in our singing. Uh, Let's pray for them in the way that they serve us. Let's be bold and ask God to give us more musicians who can help us to celebrate and to sing and get God's truth down deep. This is not a performance and a crowd. This is the instrument that God plays in our worship. And we want to thank him for those people who, to help us to do that. So I think there's a, a really simple practical take home from this song of Moses and the Israelites as they, as they sung on the beach that day that we would be passionate about learning to sing so that it might shape our hearts. Because in the second point is what flows from the rest of this chapter, that we need to learn to sing so that we keep God in view. Did you notice that in what we read, that no sooner had the Israelites finished the song and then uh, packed up the tents and headed off on their journey uh, than they lost sight of God? Uh, We read as... The story continues on. Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur for three days. They travelled in the wilderness without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Now, on the one hand, their concern is understandable. I've done a little bit of hiking up in central Australia and uh, we did one hike in particular where we misread the map and that water supply didn't actually exist. We went a day without water. That was kind of anxious enough. We had mobile phones to call for help. These guys have done three days in the wilderness. There's a lot of them. There's no water. I can understand their concern. The reaction is predictable. But actually their reaction is predictable because it is in common with the human heart when we lose sight of our great God. The people grumbled against Moses. What are we to drink? Now, the the question's not the problem. That's a very good question to to ask. What are we going to drink? Asking God's servant Moses isn't the problem. That's what he's there for. He has been appointed by God as the one that they come to and that God will speak to them through. The problem is that they grumbled. Their attitude was as bitter as the water. And it seems that God's point is pretty clear. Three days down the road and they've already stopped singing. If only they'd remembered the song from the beach, the Lord is my strength. In his unfailing love, he will lead us home. If only they'd remembered to sing. So we sing because our hearts are so good at getting caught up in the situation right in front of us. Our emotions are so capable of being blown this way and that. And we need to keep planting the seeds of God's word deep down in us. And watering it regularly. And songs, they help us remember, right? We need to remember to keep God in view. After all, he was there right with them, even if they lost sight of him. What did they do when the water was bitter? God says, just 
trust me, a log in the water, as if that fixes anything, except it did. And where does he take them? Just, they didn't, they, as they didn't stop there at Mila in their, in their bitterness, just down the road at Elam, they didn't find just another spot to camp. It's an abundance, an oasis in the desert, a reminder of his unfailing love. And so it is that we need to learn to sing as well, to keep God in view. Because every line of this song that we've read, it's just a warm-up act to show us what God has done for us in Jesus. That this is what our God is really like. In Jesus, our strength, our defence, our salvation. That event in history when God stepped in and defeated Pharaoh, that was significant, but just a sign pointing forward, a foretaste of Jesus stepping into history and defeating death itself. God rescued his people from slavery, a physical oppression in Egypt. Jesus rescues us from our slavery to sin. And as much as those slaves escaped Egypt looking forward to a patch of ground in the land of Canaan that God had promised them, that too was just a foretaste of God's far greater promise to gather people from every tribe and nation and language around his son, not just in a particular patch on the map, but in a totally renewed creation we sing because our hearts are so prone to being blown this way and that that we struggle to keep God in view we struggle to keep God in view when our friends are giving us flack for being a Christian we start to feel insecure when we're just running so hard at work that it's hard to find a moment in the day for a bit of peace or when we fail and we start looking for escape in all kinds of really destructive ways, we need to sing. As Matt said, we're finishing up in Exodus now, we're heading back into the book of Romans, and we've actually quite deliberately broken it at this point, because we're going back into Romans to see the profound truth of God's amazing salvation for us in Jesus, so that we'd remember to celebrate, we'd remember to sing That in his loving faithfulness and awesome power, God has sent his son. But he takes us on the journey in which we need to keep him in view. So in the midst of that journey, when the road feels narrow and perilous, the truth is that Jesus said this is how it would be, but the destination is secure. So let's sing to encourage each other, to celebrate, to celebrate the truth of all that God is and has done and will do. So I think it'd be good for us to sing now, right? I'm going to invite the band to come on up. We've got a couple of songs to finish our time out. Thanks for coming up, guys, and leading us in this. Uh, The youth amongst us have got the opportunity to grab your journals and step out the back and to strike up your conversation. But we're going to stand. Often we would, we would pray at the conclusion of hearing from God's word. I want us to use these last couple of songs to help us to do exactly that. And as we sing these words, to be asking God to be getting this truth right down deep in our hearts, that he might help us to keep him in view, not only in the week to come, but in the years to come when these words are the things that actually come to mind. So let's stand and sing as we stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene.